0: Okay, this morning's reading is uh, where you're in, to Romans 7, the first six verses. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then if, while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter.
1: Thank you, Jim. Um, so before we start, let me open us in prayer, and then we'll take a look. Um, Lord, you are indeed worthy, and you alone are worthy. And Lord, you are indeed righteous, and you alone are righteous. Thank you for giving us your, righteous, your righteousness, making us um, to be the righteousness of God, Lord. Um, it's easy to say those words, but to ponder what that means is huge, uh, because we are infinitely not worthy. We are um, rebels from the very beginning, and yet you've chosen us, you've called us, you've um, justified us, and we're grateful. So thank you for that, Father. Lord, um, our uh, valley is uh, experiencing a pretty significant fire, and um, Father, I praise you for the care that you've shown to our church members in, in um, the way that the fire has avoided them thank you for uh the Wests and for the davises not having to evacuate for um uh, the the threat but then the fire moving in another direction but lord at the same time we pray for all of those families that have evacuated uh, for those who've been threatened by the fire the, the uh, people whose homes will have been damaged by the smoke and ash and uh, lord i pray that um, that those who you bring us into contact with who need help we would be willing to do that and uh, lord i pray that you would just accomplish your purposes in sending these fires even now and father speaking of the west we want to pray for harlan and his upcoming surgery Um, father for um, the removal of the growth on his kidney lord would you be with the doctors and give them care give them insight give them wisdom and uh, lord through it i pray that Harlan would be your witness and that he would show uh, to those who are attending to him what it looks like to trust in in the Lord. If they don't know you, Lord, that they would see in Harlan um, a peace that surpasses understanding, uh, a trust that can't be grasped. And uh, Father, we pray that you would heal him and and recover him soon uh, from his surgery. Father, we wanna pray for Ramey and um, the situation he's in with having a class dropped uh, Father, would you show to Ramey, to Jen, and to the whole family, and Lord, to all their friends that you do provide, and that you care, and that you're aware of the needs of your people. And uh, Father, would you uh, show yourself to be faithful to them. And uh, Father, thank you that the portion of the Frederick family is here. We pray that you'd be with them in the wrapping up of their house here, and uh, bless them as they go. Uh, find them the right house um, in St. Louis area. Um, Lord, we pray that you would lead them to the right church there to uh, to make friends and acquaintances. And Lord, that they would continue to be a blessing um, as they're leaving us, but going there. Lord, would you continue to use them, please? Lord, as we turn to your word now, I uh, pray that you would help us to see and to understand. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts and our minds? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So last week, what we looked at um, was uh, the end of chapter six, and it was Paul kind of um, summing up, well, we've been justified, we're saved, and now what? And uh, the now what uh, we saw last week was sanctification growing in holiness and um, putting away the the ways of the flesh and, and uh, walking in, in, uh, in Christ. And so this week now, at the beginning of seven, it's six short verses, but... Um, I didn't want to go too far because the next section really is, is the logical piece. So this, this was the, uh, the the breaking point was these first six verses. This next section, um, what Paul is going to look at, what he's going to show us is um, he's kind of backing up to answer a question he asked earlier. And he's going to show us what uh, that looks like if we're not under law, but we're under grace, Um what does that look like? And so that—that's what we're going to see this morning—is—is is, um, how we can walk in newness of spirit, or, or how we can serve in the new uh, newness of the spirit. And that—that's his message this morning. Um, he starts with an illustration and then with a, kind of unpacking and application. So what we're going to do is look at that illustration, look at his unpacking, and then what I want to do at the end is kind of pick up in uh, a general kind of way, what does it mean to serve in the newness of the spirit? And uh, we'll talk through that when we get down there. So let's, let's take a look. So he begins, um, or do you not know brothers For I'm speaking to those who are under the law? Um, so, or do you not know? He kind of is pointing backwards. He's saying, now I've said something, but you know, let's, let's make this clear. So when he says, uh, do you not know? I think he's pointing back to the question he raised in chapter, ver- chapter 16, ver- chapter the question he raised in chapter 6, verse 15, are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? That's that's the question. So he's kind of backing up. And the reason I think that is because he says, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. So he's addressing the question of law again. Now, when he says uh, those who know the law, the, the immediate temptation is to think, well, he's talking to the Jews. Um, but we have to remember that the Roman church was, Largely Gentile. And so the Jews are certainly who he's addressing because they would know the law, but he's also probably speaking to what we called the God fears. Um, Gentiles who were interested in, in uh, Judaism, but hadn't converted and proselytites those who had converted to Judaism. Um, that was probably who he's speaking to because that's probably qualifies a lot of those Gentiles. Um, Early on, the Roman church was predominantly Jewish, so the the Gentiles who came in would have heard. Uh, So he's addressing that question of law. Um, And now he wants to explain how it is that we are not under law, but we're under grace. What does that look like? How did that happen? And so he uses the illustration. He says the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So you're under a law while you're alive. Um, when you die, that law has has no longer uh, a binding on you. And the illustration he uses is marriage. Uh, married woman is bound to her husband while she lives, or while he lives, if he dies, she's released. Um, and accordingly, she'd be an adulteress if she lived with somebody else while she was still uh, legally married to her living husband. Uh, the The picture there is, is is. The way you're released from marriage is by death. And uh, Jewish law, men could divorce their wives, but wives couldn't, didn't have any provision for divorcing their husbands. But in Roman law, they could. Uh, so the, the picture is, is not painting all the complexities of marriage and divorce, but uh, simply kind of drawing this one principle. There is a law of marriage that's binding on a person, and the only way the way that that a person is released is through death um, so what he's probably speaking of here is um, is the mosaic law um, not necessarily the jewish law or, or law in general um, so that's the picture that's that's the illustration that he uses for us now let's go and see what he does with that um, where he where he takes us so beginning in verse four Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that you may bear fruit for God. That's verse 4. So here's the problem is the illustration of marriage is not a one-to-one comparison um, because he says you have died to the law, Um, but in the illustration the wife is still alive, the husband has died, and so shouldn't the illustration be the law died to you, so now you're free to marry another? And, and commentators get all wrapped around the axle on this. Um, I, I think what Paul has done is not necessarily looking for a one-to-one comparison between marriage and our relationship to the law. I think what he's doing in that first section, verses 1 through 3, is he's citing what we might call case law, Um, Here's an example from the law. Here's here's something that happens in the law. Death releases you from a commitment from one to another person. Um, uh, He picked marriage. It could have been a a covenant between two people or a contract. And one person dies. Now the contract is is void. uh, One of them can't fulfill it. So it's it's kind of like looking at case law. Um, So he says, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Now, remember, when we talked about law, I said the way Paul uses law is complicated. Um, It it, it has nuances, and you have to make sure you're reading it in context. Uh, So when he says that you have died to the law, he's most assuredly, most likely thinking about the Mosaic law, the law that Moses gave them. Um, And so I I think a helpful way to understand law, especially in Romans, is working through it, um, is... There is a concept of law that we would call natural law, and it is the law that is written on the heart. And we saw that in uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. uh, The Gentiles do and don't do, and and that confirms the work of the law in their heart. There is a law that just is. It, it, It has always been. Has it ever been, before Moses, after Moses, in the New Covenant, in the Old Covenant, has it ever been okay to murder somebody? To just premeditated, decide that you're going to execute somebody. Well, no. Uh, has lying ever been just a celebrated, wonderful thing? No, it's, we've always had this idea that it's wrong to do certain things. And that's what's called the moral or the, uh, the natural law. Um, it, it is the moral aspects that make humanity work, if you will. But then there's something else that's called positive law or written law. They call it positive law because it's a statement. It is positively stated. This is what it is. And that would be in our context, the law of Moses. Uh, So that is the portion of law that Paul is saying that we have died to that, uh, to that portion of the law. Um, The, the, for example, we know that it's wrong to murder because it's wrong to murder. And that's part of natural law. That's just the way God ordered the universe. But without positive law, um, Israel would have never understood the ideas of being clean and unclean. And and what does it take to go from being unclean to being clean? And and would never have naturally occurred to anybody for uh, a priest to go through the ceremonies and the rituals that they would do. Um, That's positive law. That's something that God stated more clearly. So um, when Paul says, you have died to the law through the body of Christ what he's referring to is positive law, the mosaic code. Jesus died under that covenant law. Um, it was in violation of it really because they, they lied about him. They persecuted a, uh, an innocent man. They killed God. So it was in violation of the covenant law, but it was under that covenant law that Jesus died. So we also have died with Jesus is what he's saying. So if we've died, and Jesus died under that covenant law, then we're set free um, so that we may belong to another. Um, That's the point. That's why we died with Jesus. And again, that's where the commentators get really, uh, really upset because um, the wife doesn't die, and so now she's free to join to another. The husband died, and so the wife is free. Um, Again, this is just case law that he's citing. A death has occurred. Jesus has died. We died with him, therefore, since our death has freed us from that covenant, we're now in a new covenant, is, is I think, the idea behind us. That's kind of where he goes. Also, um, it says to him who has been raised from the dead, that's who we've been joined to. So if we die with Christ, we're released from what we were under, but we're also raised with him, aren't we? we it's, Paul has told us a couple of times, we've been raised with Christ. So we're raised with him, and so now we're in him, and we're in this new situation. So that's how it was that we were set free from the law and joined to Christ. And what's the point? What is the, the, the goal of all this? Well, Paul says in the end there, uh, in the end of verse 4, in order that we may bear fruit to God. So there's a reason that God did this. There's a reason God set us free from the law and made us alive in Christ. And that's so that we could bear fruit um, to Him, and um, this this idea of bearing fruit, Paul will unpack some more. We'll look at some aspects of it this morning, but there's so much involved in that that we just can't cover it all right now. But we'll we'll touch on it. And so where he goes now in verse five, is he says, but while you were living in the flesh, um, this is the first time that Paul really has used flesh as a concept, and um, and the there could be a temptation to think of flesh as in the body. And we've talked about this before. The whole person is redeemed, body and soul. So when he says you're living in the flesh, it's not that being, having a body is necessarily bad. It's just this body hasn't been redeemed yet. Uh, so when he uses the word flesh, he's not talking about the, the, um, the, the meat that hangs on us uh, so much as he's talking about human nature under the dominion of sin. Um, That's what it means for him to say that uh, we are living in the flesh. Uh, The flesh is the part of us that hasn't been redeemed yet. The flesh is the part of us that still has those habits and those patterns that led to sin. And so that's the the point that he's making is while we were living under the dominion of sin, well, what was that like before we died with Christ and were raised with him? Well, he says, our sinful passions... Aroused by the law, we're at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So our passions, our desires are sinful. They are they are stained by the fall. While we're in Adam, they have been what we call disordered. Our passions got mixed up. We desired things above things that we should desire less. Something like that. We we instead of desiring God, instead of loving God chiefly. We love things, and so we might fit God in there so that we get the things. That's disordered passions. Those are those sinful passions, those passions that want what they shouldn't want. And then he says something really startling, aroused by the law. That, that desire for what you shouldn't have is aroused by the law. By telling you you can't do that, suddenly the sinful nature, the flesh, the sinful passions catch on fire and desire it even more. We'll come to that in the next section. The rest of chapter 7, we'll hit on that idea of how the law inflames those things. So let's just kind of let it sit for right now. But I I just think that phrase is is very noteworthy, aroused by the law. Our sin was aroused by the law. Remember we said earlier, law can't control sin. It, It can't reduce or restrain sin. All law can do is show sin to be what sin is. And so that's, that's what it does, is it shows sin to be sinful. And it, that, that sinful passion aroused by the law, it was at work in our members. Um, our disordered passions, our disordered loves, our disordered desires manifest themselves physically in this physical body. And we do the things that we know we shouldn't do. Um, that was the problem. That was where we were at under Adam. And so the sinful passions aroused by the law, work in our members, and what do they do? What is the, the result? They bear fruit for death. So when he says bear fruit for death, there are natural consequences for sin. Um, if, if someone sins in certain ways, there are, there are just natural consequences. Your body was not built to function that way. And so when you indulge in that thing, it's going to have a natural consequence. But there's also fruit for death that is the effect of judgment that God would look on a person and bring judgment on them. We heard about his wrath. We heard about condemnation. And so when it bears fruit for death, that fruit is both the natural consequence and the supernatural consequence. It is what sin will incite. It's what sin will bring. But he says, um, we were released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. This is verse six. We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. So again, death was our release. And when you consider the way that death plays into this, um, everybody dies. It, it is not that anybody is excused from death, but what he has just said is that that sinful nature that we have, that um, um, Disordered passions, which manifest itself in our bodies, bears fruit for death. And and that death is brought on by condemnation and judgment because you're still under that law. You're still under that sin. But what he says for us is we've been released from it by death. And so in our case, those who have been justified by faith, death is actually a release from that that danger. It, It is an escape. It is a doorway to something more. So we've been released from that law, death has released us, and now um, we are free to move into something else. What is that? Paul says, we serve in the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. So you die, and if you're still under law, if you're still under Adam, that death is condemnation, it is wrath, it is judgment, or you die under that law, and escape from it, you're grafted into Christ, and now you serve in the way of the Spirit. Um, That's what I want to look at next, is we'll we'll take that way of the Spirit and and examine that a little bit more, but he says, and not in the old way of the written code. The written code, I forget what Jim's version said, um, it is literally by the letter, and so what I think that picture that that Paul is painting for us there of the serving in uh, by way of the written letter is how detailed and exact the law was. And and that was the problem that incited sin in people. That was what brought it out is there was so much detail in it. Um, So the contrast that we have is we serve in a new way, not an old way. A new way is the spirit, an old way is the written code. And um, so the way I think about this, hopefully this illustration will be helpful. I've, I've, um, I think it makes sense to me. So hopefully it'll work for you. Um, my time in the air force, I was in aircraft maintenance. That that was what I did. And since aircraft maintenance is a very complicated thing, there's a lot goes on to an aircraft. Um, we had written instructions that we had to use and they're, they're called technical orders or we call them TOs. And so when, you did anything, especially on an aircraft, you had a TO and the TO told you, these are the steps you're gonna do. So um, what I I would do, like when I first started, I was was working on uh, aircraft on the flight line. Now back in my day, the TOs were actually paper bound books. Um, You would go out to the aircraft because a pilot wrote something up, said this didn't work right on the airplane. So you would go out to the aircraft and you'd have a TO in your hand, and you're supposed to have it open to the page that you're, you're going through. And it would say, check all of these switches, make sure these things are in place, this is all right, um, and then you can apply power to the aircraft. And so we had external power carts that we would plug in, and it would put electricity into the aircraft so that we could go into the cockpit and check out our systems. But there was a lot of steps that you had to go through to make sure that aircraft was safe to have power applied to it before you did that. And then once you got it in, you got in the cockpit and your system was this one thing that you had to check out, you had a TO that said, here's how you turn it on. You flip this switch and this light should come on. You flip this switch and this display should display that. You flip this switch or type in this number and you get this response. And and they were all detailed steps one by one. You were supposed to go through each and every one of them. and And that was the letter of the law, if you will. That was the the written code, and it was extraordinarily detailed and and down to the finite little, you know, make sure this switch does this. Um, But in maintenance, we're not there to just turn on the airplane and look at it and smile. Uh, We would go out, and we were trying to duplicate a malfunction a pilot had. Uh, So what did he see? What did she see that they wrote up? And and we try to go out and duplicate that. So if we can duplicate it, then we can fix it. So when you get to that point in the process, um, you, you flip a switch and a light doesn't turn on. And the TO may tell you, replace this box. And so, okay, well, I'll take that box out, I'll go get another new one and I'll put it in. And I'll go through those steps, detailed steps over again. And I get to this place and I flip this switch and the light doesn't turn on still. The TO by steps is pretty much done at that point. I don't have detailed steps saying, now do this, now do this, now do this. What I have to do now is I have to go beyond those detailed steps in the TO and I have to use intuition. I have to use experience. I have to call on my training. Um, The TO now, instead of having detailed steps, I'll pull out a big sheet of paper and it'll have wiring diagrams on it or flow charts showing what's going on. And so now I have to think, well, this failed, what would cause that and how do i operate and so what what could be missing here um, there's just no way you could have a detailed step-by-step to deal with some of this stuff uh, it's just too complicated so you go from you better follow each step in the tech data to uh-huh. troubleshooting which is now it takes a lot of creativity and a lot of imagination and and a lot of learning and, and you'll talk to other people have you ever seen this problem on, on aircraft like this before what did you do and, and so now you're doing something that's much more intuitive, something much more like a wisdom, something based on skills that you've learned or, or information that you've gained. Um, you don't throw the TO out, you still use it, but you're using it in a different way. And so I think that's what Paul is getting at when he says, we serve in the new way of the spirit, not the old way of the written code. Under the law, the code, the written code could only take you so far. And then at a certain point, it, it couldn't take you any further. It, it wasn't designed to. It was to, in designed to lead you to a specific direction. And then in the new covenant now, we have the spirit. So we don't have a ton of written code in the New Testament saying, do this, don't do that. Uh, not the way they did in the, in the uh, especially the Pentateuch. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy have tons of steps, tons of codes, tons of things that you're supposed to do but we have the spirit. And so that's the idea. Uh, So how is it that we serve in the new way of the spirit? What does that look like? Well, first of all, I want to deal with the issue of uh, spirit or um, or, or spiritual. Have you ever heard somebody say to you, well, I'm spiritual, but not religious? Um, What does that mean? Uh, What they're trying to get at is I believe in something that's supernatural, but I don't Want to follow a set, you know, religious order? I just want to. I want to have that thing. Um, that's not what the Bible means when the Bible talks about being spiritual or in the spirit or the way of the spirit. Um, what it means in the Bible is it is done in and through and under the power of the spirit. That's the spirit being the third person of the Trinity. Um, that's what it's referring to. So, in one sense, we in the New Covenant do everything in a spiritual and a new way that uh, of the spirit. Everything we do is because we have changed. We have under the old covenant before we were believers, we didn't have the spirit. Now in the new covenant, we do have the spirit. And so the spirit animates so much of what we do. He's given us new life. So in one sense, everything is spiritual, but I think there's also some particular ways that, that, um, that the spirit works as well. Um, So one of the most popular ways that I hear people talk about is um, uh, God told me to do this thing. Um, God said I should, um, you know, not buy this car or whatever it is. But uh, what it is is they have a strong desire. Uh, they, They have a strong feeling that this is something that they should do. And just because you have a desire to do something doesn't mean God told you to do it. I think we all know people who have, have sometimes said, well, God told me this, and they've been wrong. Um, that's where we just, we get a little fuzzy on what it is. It may indeed be that God has told you to do something, and he may have done it through your feelings. But he may not. It may just be your feelings, and, and that's okay. Um, when you look at that kind of out-of-the-blue, gut-feeling um, approach to God speaking, that's just not seen in the Bible. In the Bible, it's very clear when God speaks. Um, The church in Antioch was praying and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said something nebulous? No, he said specifically, set apart not just somebody, but Paul and Barnabas for me. Um, So when God speaks, it it is very clear. I, I thought Tim Keller had a really great quote on this. He said, I had a thought. Because I'm a Presbyterian, I figure it was a hunch. If I was a member of some other denomination, I would have said it's God speaking to me. Now, in my mature theological position, as I think about it, it was probably God speaking to me through a hunch. So we can be spiritual without having to have God um, speak in those kind of ways. There's a blending of the two. We'll see that when we we work through what it means to serve in the Spirit, um, what that looks like, the new way of the Spirit. So for us, what I would say is God primarily speaks through his word, through the Bible. Um, One of the mottos the EFCA has is, where stands it written? And what that means is if somebody comes up and says, we have to do or we may not do, the appropriate response within the free church is, where is it in the Bible? Let's work through that. So that's, I think, the first way that we approach to the new way of the Spirit is we have to look to the Bible. Why is the Bible spiritual? Well, because the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. Um, 2 Peter 1, verse 21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. I I love this verse when it comes to the issue or the doctrine of inspiration uh, because it is God's, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They weren't eclipsed they weren't shut off, they weren't replaced, they weren't dictated to. Men spoke, they spoke, but they spoke from God. They were using God's words, how? Because they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And, and so what, Paul, or what Peter is talking about there is, he says no prophecy, um, so we might be tempted to think, well, it's just the prophetic portions of the Bible that, um, that were inspired, of course that won't work. Um, for example, Jesus in Mark 12, 36 says, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, and then he quotes Psalm 110. Um, There's a number of places where David in the Spirit says something and they quote a psalm. It's not some outside random thing. Um, There's a a place in Hebrews, Hebrews 3, 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. So was this some ecstatic experience somebody had? No, the author quotes Psalm 95. Um, and then at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is talking to the Jews in Rome, and they were disagreeing among themselves, Acts 28-25. They departed after Paul had made one statement, the Holy Spirit was right in saying through Isaiah, the prophet. So the Holy Spirit said through Isaiah. So the, the Bible, we understand the Bible and its wholeness is written by the Holy Spirit. So The first point I want to make is it's spiritual for the Christian to study, memorize, and cite the Bible. I should put the word read in there too. It's spiritual for the Christian to read, to study, to memorize, and to cite the Bible. That is a new way of uh, a new work in the spirit. Now, wait a minute. In the old covenant, they had the Bible as well, didn't they? Yes, they did, but they didn't have all of it. They only had at different times, portions of the Old Testament. At the very end, they got the whole Old Testament. We have the New New Testament, which helps us understand the Old. So for us, when we study the Bible, um, we have the entirety of the Bible. And when we study it, it has to be spiritually understood. It's not simply a mental exercise or work in literary forms or uh, something like that. 1 Corinthians 2.13. Paul says, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So what he's talking about there is he's talking about what we have access to of Paul's writing. We are are taught by the Spirit. We interpret these spiritual truths in a spiritual way. So to, to read and study the Bible is a spiritual experience. It is what God has called us to do. At the end of Luke, when when, um, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with the disciples and they don't know who he is, um, after he explains to them and they begin to see verse 44, he says, it says, then he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He he had to open their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. They had the scriptures. They read the scriptures. They knew the scriptures. But to understand the scriptures, God has to open your mind. It is a spiritual experience that we have, since we have the spirit, that we may work on understanding the Bible. So when we have any God spoke to me moment, I'm not saying that he can't or he won't or he never has, but any God spoke to me moment should be submitted to the authority of the scriptures. Um, That is more spiritual than just saying, oh, well, God said this and never checking with the Bible. It It is more scriptural, more spiritual to go to God's word because the Spirit spoke it. It's no less spiritual to have a hard time understanding the Bible, too. So if you're reading the scriptures and you go, I don't get this. I must not have the spirit because if I have the spirit, it's all plain and open to me. Absolutely not. There, there's, there are parts of the scriptures that are very hard to understand. And you're not alone if you struggle with that. If you have a hard time on certain parts, I want you to know you're in exceptional company. Listen to this. 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the arrogant, ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So Peter is saying, look, when I read Paul's letters, there are things in there that are hard to understand, and I, understand, I get that. So if you're having a hard time with scriptures, that's not less spiritual. That's not being um, unfaithful to the Bible to have a hard time with it. Um, it, What you have, though, is you have the spirit to impart this word taught by, not by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. And so you can call on the spirit to interpret spiritual truths by those who are spiritual. And also, um, God has given to the church teachers He has given to the church some wonderful folks who have done some great writing. Um, Recently, J.I. Packer passed away. Packer was one of the great evangelical theologians of the last century. He wrote such wonderful works. He is a blessing to the church. He is an aid to you to help you understand the scriptures. Um, There are just countless other people, and not just contemporary. Some are very ancient. Um, I'm finding myself lately being helped quite often by Augustine. And he was from the fourth century. So it's a blessing to have these hard parts of scripture that are difficult to understand, and then to be able to turn to a trusted teacher and say, help me understand this. And that'll come in a little bit later on in another point that I wanna bring up about being spiritual. Um, Now, where I wanna go is I wanna look primarily at what Paul says in Romans about being spiritual, Um, but he doesn't say much. He has a lot to say in Romans 8, and I don't want to do too much on that because we're going to get there soon enough. Um, but there's, there's a couple of things that he says that are extremely important. So it's first of all, it's spiritual for the Christian to read, study, memorize, and cite the Bible. Second of all, it is spiritual for the Christian to fight sin by the Spirit. So that is what Paul said earlier. He said he we walk in this newness of the uh, Spirit Um, in order to bear fruit to God. Well, to bear fruit to God is to not bear fruit to death. And so we are supposed to fight that sin, but we do it by the Spirit. And so where I'm getting that from is Romans 8, beginning in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Didn't he just say that? verse 14 or, um, verse 13For if you live according to the flesh you will die, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live for all who are led by the spirit are sons of God for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So the point that Paul makes there, and again, I don't want to go into it too much because we'll come to it in in a few weeks, is we have been adopted. That was what it meant to be taken out of the column, out of the category of Adam and grafted into Jesus, is Jesus is God's only begotten son. As we're in Jesus, we are adopted. And that adoption, uh, J.I. Packer, the reason I mentioned him is because he has a great quote. He says, justification as wonderful as it is, is not as great a blessing as adoption is. Adoption into God's family is the height of all the blessing that we could receive. Um, Justification is part of the process that gets this there. So what Paul says in in chapter 8 here is that that adoption means that we have fundamentally changed. We can now cry, Abba, Father. But we do it by putting to death the deeds of the body through the Spirit. So our, our, our adoption means that we have the tools at our hands we have the, the, the things that we need to fight against that sin because of who we have become. You are now a son of God. I've said this before. I just want to say it again. Is that sexist for him to say you're a son of God? I would say it's the exact opposite of sexist. What it is, is he's not addressing only men here. He's addressing all the Christians. And so women are sons of God. And what does that mean? Well, in the Old Covenant, women couldn't inherit. There was only just limited exceptions where women could inherit. But what we find here in this verse is we are adopted as sons of God, and therefore we're heirs. Men and women, all of us the same, are heirs to the same blessing. So by calling us sons of God, he doesn't diminish women. He elevates them and puts them equal to men in in a beautiful way. So what are we supposed to do here? How are, we, how are we supposed to put to death the deeds of the body? Um, trying real hard? No, it's by the Spirit. What was the first thing we learned about being spiritual? Scripture. It, it, the Bible has been given to us. It has been, our minds have been open to understand it. And so when we're facing temptation, when the deeds of the flesh rear up and are calling our name and want us to join them, what we can do and why we must memorize scripture is to have it handy to fight that battle. Um, and if you think that, that you can just overcome it by yourself, you're wrong. Jesus was led into the wilderness and tempted by Satan. And how did he answer each temptation? He, entered, he answered each temptation not by saying is not. He quoted scripture. Jesus is perfect. He, he was mankind as Adam should have been. And he still faced temptation, and the way he fought temptation was not simply retreating from his humanity and saying, well, I'm divine, I don't sin. His humanity remained humanity. The way his humanity fought sin, put to death the deeds of the flesh, was through Scripture. So you need Scripture handy. You need God's promises in the Bible handy so that when the deeds of the flesh start calling your name, you can put them to death. You you can resist that. So what we're saying here, this fight against sin, um, another way is what we said last week is to be sanctified, is to be made much more like Jesus. So um, there's, here's, here's some tools that you might use. 1 Corinthians 6.11, after listing a, a group of different sins, Paul says, and such were some of you. Talking to the Corinthians, he, he lists these, these sinners, and he says, some, some were some of you, or such were some of you but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So when the deeds of the flesh come up, you can remind yourself of this verse, and such was I, but I've been washed, I've been sanctified, I've been justified by God and by his Spirit, by Jesus and by his Spirit. So that's, that's one way to fight, to, to recognize your adoption as your son, to recognize your sanctification in the Holy Spirit. Um, another one, just to, to, to give you another tool to fight, to give you an idea of this. Ephesians 3, 14 through 17. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So when the temptation comes, when the urge is there, you can remind yourself that I have been strengthened in the inner man. I have been strengthened with the power through his spirit. Christ dwells in me. I don't have to answer that. So that's how we fight sin is by Leaning on the spirit, trusting in Jesus, and you need the weapons of the warfare at your hand. you need scripture in your in your brain, you need it memorized so that it 's handy, so you don't have to scramble at the last moment that's that's when you need scripture um, I, I think i've shared this illustration before, but I, I just think it was it was so impactful to me. Um, before I came back to California when I was working at Whole Foods. I did an update on all the cash registers in our region. That was four states and, um, and Canada, and I forgot a step. I had the, the letter of the law, I had the steps in front of me, but I missed one, and I replicated that across all of them. And I went to bed at about four in the morning, and suddenly it hit me that I missed a step, and I was just seized with panic, with, oh my gosh, I am gonna get fired, I am done. This is over. I've screwed this up. This is going to affect everybody. I, I am ruined. And I couldn't get to sleep and I was tossing and turning. And I got up, I went into the bathroom. I turned on the light and I just leaned over the, the um sink and just was like almost white with with panic. And what came to mind was cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Submit yourself under his mighty right arm so that at the right time he may uh, elevate you. And I had to keep saying that verse over and over and over again to make me believe that verse in that moment. And then finally, after it seemed like forever, I got my my nerves calmed down because I recited the word over and over and over again, cast your cares on him. Lord, I'm casting this care, this huge care on you. And so the next morning when I got up, I got on the train, as I was going to uh, work, I was thinking, well, you know, I'm going to go in, I'll, I'll tell him what I did and I'm, I'll get fired and uh, we'll just have to figure something out and it'll be okay because I've cast my cares on him. So I went into my boss and I said, uh, Kathleen, I did this update and I missed this. And I was just kind of bracing for impact. And she went, oh, okay, well, we'll, we'll fix it next time. So just get the paperwork together. I was worried about nothing. I needed my brain to calm down and it was scripture that did that. So. That's how you fight. That fight of faith is through the word. And the other thing that kind of goes with that is it is spiritual for the Christian to pray. Now you figure I wouldn't have to say that, but what I want you to see is I'm going to read a couple of verses is praying isn't easy. It's difficult. So here's the promise again from Romans eight. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Prayer is something that should be the, the, the words, the vocabulary of the Christian, and it really is hard to do, and it's not just in these days of the internet and distraction and, and entertainment and everything, Paul wrote, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray as we ought. Prayer is difficult. It's something you have to work at. It's something we have to be told to do. And so to pray is to be spiritual because it's the spirit who's at work in that. Ephesians 6:18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. It's not easy. Paul has to tell us to pray at all times. He has to tell us to keep alert. He has to remind us to make supplication for all the saints. We need to be reminded of that. And then finally, Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Praying will build you up in your faith. Um, Prayer is hard. It it requires constant perseverance. It's something that we don't naturally want to do, um, but it's something that we are called repeatedly over and over again to do. So it is spiritual for us to pray. And you know it's spiritual because it isn't easy. The, The flesh is warring against that. Um, I I think I've cited this before. It's just such a great quote. D.A. Carson, one of my uh, seminary professors said, pray until you pray. So if you sit down and you start praying and your prayer is just constantly interrupted by what you've got to do today or worrying about something or it just feels so perfunctory like I just am, you know, going through the motions, um, Dr. Carson's advice was keep praying and pray until you actually find yourself praying. And I think you know that feeling when you start and it's, you know, uh, Lord, uh, thank you for this day and thank you for this, uh, this morning and for the nice and for the, you know, the house that I've gotten here. And then by the end, suddenly you're, your heart is wrapped up in prayer and you're just praising God. Uh, so the advice is keep going until you get there. And if you don't feel like praying, pray and ask God to make you feel like praying. Um, praying is a spiritual endeavor and it's something that we're called to do. It is spiritual for the Christian to have hope. Uh, This is something we don't often think of, but just having hope in the world is something that is a spiritual thing for the Christian to do. Um, Again, I think I've mentioned this fairly recently, hope in a biblical sense is not, well, you know, um, I don't think my daughter is going to get into college, but I hope she does. Um, that's, That's how we use the term hope, something that's unlikely, but it would really be nice if it happened. What the Bible uses the word hope to mean is something that we don't have yet, but we are assured of in the future. There, there's something that we we don't yet own, we don't yet possess, but in the future, we know it's there. So that's what he what the Bible means by hope. And so Romans 15 uh, verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So it's how do you keep believing and trusting in that thing in the future when it doesn't seem like it's getting any closer? That's hope. That's the spirit. That's what it is to be spiritual, is to hope in that kind of thing. And then here's one that you probably have heard before um, in a different context. So listen to, listen to this one, 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in, <laughs> sorry about that. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame so what, what is the hope that, that these Christians have? Is it just they walk around exuding hope? The context is persecution. When you suffer for righteousness sake, when you're slandered, when, when these things happen to you, then that's when people come and say, what is wrong with you? you? You have had all of these terrible things and yet you still have this hope. What is that hope? Um, that's how it is spiritual to have that hope. That hope abounding in you is not something that come by, that would come by naturally. That's why somebody would be asking, how can you have that hope? And, and you should be prepared to make a defense for that hope, um, to explain, well, I have this, this surety in the future. I have Jesus Christ, and he's, he's guaranteed to me that in the future, all of these things will be mine. So if it, today they're not, if they're taken away, if my reputation is solid, I, I have hope in the future. So to, be hope, to have hope is to, to be um, um, hopeful in the midst of, con- of suffering, in the midst of persecution, that's conspicuous, that stands out, and that is spiritual. Um, it is spiritual for the Christian to confess Jesus as Lord. Um, that should be pretty obvious. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12.3, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There is a bunch going on in that sentence. Um, I'm not going to go through all of it, but let me me unpack some of it. When he says Jesus is Lord, um, one way that the word Lord is used in the Bible, we would translate as sir, just a term of respect. Um, But what I think he's getting at here is no one can say Jesus is Lord, and and he may have in his mind— Um, the word Yahweh because the way the Hebrews did it was when they saw Yahweh God's covenant name they pronounced the word Lord and so to say Lord Jesus is Lord is kind of pointing back to that Um, somebody can say a lot of people do say oh yeah Jesus great teacher I love following him that's kind of saying Jesus is Lord like sir like master but it is certainly far from saying Jesus is God Uh, that to do that to make that happen is a spiritual endeavor it is the work of the holy spirit in us um, so when for example uh, in matthew 16 jesus is talking to his disciples he said to them but who do you say that i am simon peter replied you are the christ the son of the living god and jesus answered him blessed are you simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven so that that confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God is a spiritual thing. God himself reveals it to us. So that's, that's something that as a Christian, you have to remember that. that that's an important part of our being in the, in, in the spirit is, um, is to confess Jesus as Lord. And then finally, um, it is spiritual for the Christian to be in church. Um, this is another one that should be pretty straightforward, but I think it bears reminding. Um, to be a member of the church, because remember we said earlier, you were baptized into Jesus' death and raised uh, through faith. Another way the Bible talks about it is you're baptized into his body, um, body being a metaphor for the church. So First Peter 2.4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So for us to be the church, and and I don't mean be the church as in be people in the building or be the church as have our name on a roll, but to be the church, to be those who've been justified by faith, to be the church, It is a spiritual thing. We are being built into a spiritual house. We offer spiritual sacrifices. Um, That is what it means to be the church. It it is an spiritual experience. Uh, Philippians 3.3, Paul says, for we are the circumcision. Um, The Jews who have circumcision think that that's the mark of of who they are. But Paul says, no, no, it's us. Uh, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That's that's who the church is. Those who have been circumcised, those who have been um, washed clean, who have been renewed by the Holy Spirit, they are those who do that. So we worship by the Spirit of God. What we're doing this morning together here is a spiritual experience. It is something that, that happens because we are the church. So John chapter four, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, um, the, the Samaritan woman at the well, she says, but you know, you guys say you worship in Jerusalem and we say we worship on this mountain. And Jesus' response is, but the hour is coming and is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So when we gather to worship, when, when Rami is leading us in song, or in reading scripture, or when we recite um, some creed or confession together, when we're worshiping, when we're studying his word together, this is all part of our spiritual experience. It is spiritual for us to be the church. So how do we serve in the newness of the spirit? This is another way we do that. And so worship really is an, ex- an example. It's a, it's a highlighting, it's a showing forth of our reordered passions, we have now put God back up at the top where he should be. We acknowledge Jesus as, as all that he is. And that's why we worship in spirit and in truth. Rather than those prescribed steps, do this, do this, do this. Um, take this part of your sacrifice and it goes on the altar and it burns up. This part goes and you wash it. This other part goes to the priest. You sit down and you eat. The, we don't have that. Do you notice that, that those, those detailed steps, the, the TO portion that has all the, the individual steps, Do you notice that's missing from the the Bible, from the New Testament? We don't have a book of Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, uh, Exodus, any of that. So that's why I use that illustration of that TO. How do we serve in the newness of spirit? Well, we don't look for those individual letters and and what exactly individual things must we do. We do it in the spirit, by the work of the spirit, the spirit leading and, and, and directing us. Now, I want to make it really clear though here, um, when we got the test, the, uh, the aircraft up and running and we duplicated the malfunction, we didn't take the tech order and throw it out and go, I don't need that anymore. Um, we needed to have information in the tech order so that we could go and begin to diagnose this. It had those flow charts and those wiring diagrams so we could begin to chase signals and say, where is it missing? We needed that TO still even the the detailed steps on on how to turn it on and to make it work, we would still have to go back and look at those and go, okay, well, at this point this should happen. So that signal should be here. So when we're talking about this serving in the newness of the spirit, I am not saying take your Bible and chuck it, or uh, you don't need the old Testament. Don't look at it anymore. What I'm saying is as we approach service, Now, instead of having detailed steps outlined for us that we must do these things, we have the spirit. And so he takes his word and he brings it to us. He brings us preachers and teachers so that we can understand it better. He builds us into the body of Christ, into his church, living stones, offering spiritual sacrifice without individual detailed steps on how to do every little thing. Instead, we take a broader picture. It requires wisdom it requires skill, it requires all kinds of things. When we would troubleshoot the aircraft, we were relying on the training that we had. Uh, We had to go through tech school to teach us the system that we were working on so we would understand the complexities of it. After tech school, when we got to our job, we began on-the-job training where they wouldn't leave us alone on an aircraft, but you go with him and go take a look at what's going on in that. And so you had an experience of on-the-job training. We had something called CDC's Career Development Curriculum course, and it was a um, it was a correspondence course, basically kind of going over what we learned in tech school again. And so we would continue to go through that. Then after a certain point we got where we would be allowed to go check those things. And so there's all these skills that we're bringing into that. It's the same thing that's going on here being in the spirit serving in the spirit. We take all of those things that we have had before we bring them forward with us. And so now it takes wisdom, it takes prayer, it takes thought, it takes Bible study, it takes memorized verses so that we can serve in the newness of the Spirit. And and that's the the picture that I think he's painting for us there. So with that, let let me close this in a word of prayer. Lord Holy Spirit, thank you for filling your people. Lord Jesus, thank you for ascending to heaven so that you would send the Spirit to us. Father, thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit that he would come to us and remind us of all the things that Jesus has taught us. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us that we would serve in newness of spirit, Lord, that we would be relying on everything the Spirit has given us to be faithful servants of yours, because we've been released from law and made new in Christ. Lord, would you make that a reality in all of us this morning and throughout the week? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.